When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. We've got an outstanding conversation ahead. We always have an outstanding conversation ahead. Uh, but this time we're going to be talking to Marshall Mosher. Marshall, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm ecstatic to have you here, and I really am uh Looking forward to this conversation. I haven't had a conversation on responsible leadership from this angle uh, in quite a while. And, and listeners will, will pick up on uh, what I mean there when we go through your bio and get into the conversation. But what they need to know right now is that uh, Marshall is founder and CEO of Vestigo, uh, where he brings his passion for adventure into the digital world by building the future of virtual reality adventure digitally recreating the world's most inspiring and daunting adventure environments. Uh, he's a world record holding action sport poly athlete and uh, tech futurist. And he hosts his own show inside the adventure podcast. Uh, Marshall, that is great. I can't wait to hear your take on some of these things, but I really want to start you off with the first question I ask all of my guests. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that look like to you? Yeah, I love that you start off with that question because uh, there's so much that we can dive into this topic, you know, uh, later on in the interview, especially, um, you know, related to, uh, to my kind of approach to leadership, uh, especially using outdoor adventures uh, to help teach it. But for me, uh, responsible leadership really comes down to uh, an individual or a group of individuals that really display courage, you know, especially you know, real moral courage um, in, you know, making sure that we have the ability to tackle new environments and um, 
you know, aspire to create change, um, leave the, the situation better than when we found it, um, and make ethical informed judgments, you know, about existing norms and rules that we, uh, that we may approach, but really the courage component is the thing that I believe is one of the most important factors. Um, obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of us may have the fear of, of being wrong, um, and the fear of, uh, you know, navigating the unknown, but having a really strong, um, sense of courage in that leadership process is, is one of the most important things I think. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I like that. And it, it fits so well because, you know, listeners, uh, kind of as I hinted at before, uh, way, way back in episodes 48 and 49, uh, we had Amy Posey and Kevin Vallelee, uh, authors of Wild Success, where they talked a lot about various adventure sports and, and the planning and the leadership that really goes into that. And, and uh, you know, a lot of those same themes that you just identified there. And one thing that you mentioned, though, that I really like is you talked about fear and having listened to your TEDx talk um, and knowing a little bit about your story, um, fear, fear has played kind of a pivotal role in, in your journey at quite a few parts, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely a big part of it for sure. Yeah. Now I'll share the TEDx talk link uh, in in the show notes here, uh, but there was a, a great story that you share that if, if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing with the audience here, but uh, it, just for reference, it's the one you talk about your kind of uh, training incident where you had uh, your 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 wing. I don't know. Did it did it tear? Did it just not fully deploy? Like like how did you start kind of falling out of the sky? Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, uh, so thanks for sharing the, the TED Talk. That's a really great kind of full story. But to summarize it, um, I really love the intersection of action sports and leadership. Um, and I've learned and and discovered a lot of my own personal uh, leadership journey through these experiences. Uh, and one experience that one sport that I think has is one of the best um, at teaching a lot of themes in leadership, as well as the analogies of leadership is paragliding. So a lot of people think of parasailing, uh, but it's, it's different. It's not the thing at the beach where you're being pulled by a boat, but paragliding is uh, essentially a very large parachute that you inflate on top of a mountain. Um, usually there's a little bit of wind coming into launch. You pull it up, inflate it, and then you run off. So it's already above you when you run off the cliff. It's not base jumping or you jump off the cliff and then throw your parachute, but it's essentially flying um, in its purest form where you can fly for hundreds of miles with the right conditions um, on essentially a, a bunch of tissue, paper, fabric, and strings. And the the theme, like the analogy that I love to make with paragliding, uh, there's, there's many of them, but especially the fear that we all have of taking the leap. Of course, we all have this dream as kids uh, to fly and what that freedom would feel like. But then as we get older, the fear of falling uh, overrides that that dream and that passion for flight. Uh, and we realize, you know, the further we get away from the ground, the, the more we have uh, to fall and the more we could potentially get hurt. Um, but uh, ironically, in paragliding, uh, you know, the higher we get, 
the the more scared we get, but really it's the the safer we are because the further we are away from the ground and the ground is the only thing that hurts us in paragliding. So the higher we are, the more time we have to fix something that might go wrong. So in paragliding, um, there's this advanced type of course called SIV, which teaches you how to do all kinds of things with your wing that normally you're completely terrified to ever try, but it's done in a safe or as safe as possible environment where it's over a, a lake uh, with an instructor that's watching you with binoculars and a radio and you have a reserve parachute and a life vest. So uh, you manipulate your wing into all kinds of situations that might happen in the wild because it is, um, you know, it's a, a non-rigid structure. It's not like a hand glider where there's, uh, you know, metal bars in there that keep it in the right shape. Uh, the reason why it stays uh, in the right shape is just because of the forward momentum of flying. The, the air fills it up and keeps it in its um, uh, you know, uh, intended form factor. But every now and then you might hit some turbulence that collapses half of the wing or does something weird. And you have to learn how to react to that. So this course uh, manually manipulates those things. And um, I obviously was terrified. Every, everyone's terrified to do this course in the beginning. But as you start to do more and more maneuvers, you learn that it's really not that bad and you you have the skill set to do it. But there is one particular maneuver called a full stall, which is one of the most intimidating things for everyone. And you're essentially um, stopping your aircraft, your wing from flying by pulling enough brakes to slow it down to the point where it doesn't have the forward momentum needed to have the, you know, the physical dynamics required for lift and it just stops flying and you feel like you're free falling backwards and uh, then you do the right maneuver and then it starts flying again and um, on one of my first full stalls because uh, this is my first SIV usually pilots take multiple throughout their career first one first set of full stalls and I messed up and I got in this scenario where um, I was spiraling out of control. All my lines were twisted. Nothing I could do in the brake input would solve the problem. And I was starting to pick up G-forces pretty aggressively. So I had to reach for my reserve parachute, throw that. But then, of course, I throw it incorrectly because it was my first time throwing my reserve parachute. And I threw it down instead of out. So when you throw it down, obviously, you're falling down and it just flies right back up at you. And I got all tangled up in my reserve parachute lines. And uh, that's really when I started to get pretty scared because, of course, uh, spiraling, it's not free fall, but you're going pretty fast down. And the water, uh, even though it is water, uh, can still kill you if you're going close to terminal velocity. And the one thing I had to save me uh, was now all tangled up around me. So I finally was able to get it above me after I just uh, really tried to focus all my effort away from the fear that wanted me to just uh, freak out and paralyze uh, you know, my my decision-making process, but tried to stay calm, um, was able to get out of that reserve parachute, get it above me, and was able to safely land in the water. Um, but uh, one of the, the big lessons that I think that particular experience um, helps to teach is that a lot of times uh, fear can be a tool, but it also can be uh, a hindrance um, for us doing what we need to do uh, and what we know how to do in order to correct the situation. And uh, with a calm mindset, uh, even with uh, you know, potential, potential um, catastrophic uh, outcomes, um, keeping calm and focusing on what's the right thing to do, um, and taking it one step at a time uh, is almost always the, the way to get out of any uh, big problem. Um, 
And there's a lot of other themes that I talk about in the TED Talk, but I know I've been rambling for a while. No, no, that is, I mean, it's, it's a great story and, and, and there's so many parallels there, but you know, before we get into that, like when I first heard it, it, what I loved about the story is, is hearing your experience and seeing it, it reminded me, uh, my grandfather was a world war two vet in the army paratrooper. And, uh, you know, he would talk about, you know, in the early days of parachuting, it was, it was pretty much just like that. You know, they, they really didn't have any type of steering or, uh, he said, if, if you wanted to steer, you had to reach up and grab a handful of, of uh, rope and just, you know, pull and collapse one side of the parachute and you would drift a little bit and uh, then you would let go and hope that it filled back up. And that was, that was kind of how you would steer. Uh, so as, as you were talking about that in the, in the talk and then relaying it there, I was like, and this must have been what he went through jumping out of planes uh, uh, over Europe. Um, but the, the, the one piece there, right. And, and I love the way you tell the story because it's a lot like you're telling it about paragliding. You're telling it about, you know, uh, learning and evolving and experiencing this kind of failure, but you're almost telling a life story right there in the same, uh, in the same breath, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Flying is, um, has always been, I kind of had a special place in my heart. I won't give away too much of the TED talk as to the reason why, but um, I've always used, loved using that flying analogy for uh, for personal growth and my own personal leadership development. Yeah, well, you know, and and I think it's the uh, the the big thing for me is is, and I like how you draw those parallels with that because you know that's kind of the it's kind of the trajectory a lot of us get on, right? We we find something that's exciting, we find something that we we want to try, and we. We get a little better at it and we get a little more uh, into it. And then we get to a point where we try something and then failure happens. And, uh, you know, we start kind of spiraling out of control, as you put it. And then we got to figure out ways to get back on course. And um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to fall back in love with that thing once you've been hit with that level of fear. I guess that's a, a good way to put it, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the next day, um, I came up with uh, all kinds of excuses in my head as to why I couldn't uh, go train. <laughs> but ultimately, <laughs> I I got back out there and uh, you know forced myself to get back on the horse and and try it again. And fortunately, went well. But man, everything in me wanted to to give up and uh, and not get back and do it. But if um, if we don't get back and try the thing that we're scared of, uh, we may end up never doing it, doing it. And in that case, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, but flying is this, uh, life passion of mine. And, uh, I wouldn't ever, um, you know, have the, the, uh, the same appreciation of it if I was doing it in a way that I was, you know, always kind of had that fear in the back of my head of the, the thing that I never was able to do, uh, that I never got back and, and, um, kind of gave it a second chance. Yeah. Now, one of the things that, that I love, and we mentioned the, the virtual reality tie in and, you know, a lot of people are maybe listening to that story and thinking, you know, Earl Marshall, that's fantastic. But, you know, I'm not going to go throw myself off of a mountain. I don't care if you call it a wing or what you call it. Um, but virtual reality can can really go a long way in letting people experience that type of environment without really having to worry about whether the the parachute uh, the reserve chute comes out or not right exactly yeah so uh, 
I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that are probably wondering like, well, why would you ever jump off a cliff <laughs> with a piece of tissue paper, uh, you know, above you as you're supporting your life in the first place? Um, My grandfather and, and I uh, had that conversation a lot. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I, you know, it's it's definitely not for everyone. Um, but I think regardless of how you do it, uh, taking time to realize what your fears are and finding a way to help yourself push past those, I think is really the important piece for me. Um you know, jumping off a cliff uh, and pushing my limits uh, in paragliding is is one way. Uh, for other people, that that could be something, um, you know, much much easier, lower barrier of entry, um, and, and a lot different. Um, that's why ropes courses work really well uh, as a kind of a low barrier of entry way to get us outside of our comfort zone in an environment that feels dangerous but we know is completely safe. Uh, virtual reality can actually recreate that as well, which is why we're really excited about bringing these types of experiences into the metaverse and virtual reality to help people overcome their fears um, and a lot of the, the benefits that come from that uh, still through ways that feel really intense and impactful, but are uh, you know, functionally uh, completely safe in virtual reality. So there's, there's a couple of examples. I know a lot of people have heard the terms virtual reality, the metaverse, but don't really fully understand it. And I will say the best way to get your head around it is to just find a friend with a VR headset, uh, put it on and see what it's like for yourself. It's, uh, it's really uh, something you have to experience that can't really just be explained. Um, but to, to give a quick overview for anyone who hasn't um, been in it, uh, there's all kinds of ways that you can simulate uh, getting outside your comfort zone um, and overcoming that fear in VR. Uh, one way that we do it is there, uh, actually one of the original VR apps um, that's been around since the early days of VR is this this uh, game called Richie's Plank Experience. And it's, it's this virtual simulation of this plank that's coming out of the side of a building. And that's it. Super simple. And when you're walking out on the plank, you're functionally just walking on your floor wherever you happen to be. But in virtual reality, your brain is telling you you are on this plank and the plank is 100 stories in the air. And if you fall off the side, you're going to fall uh, to the bottom of this building, even though logically, you know, you're not and you haven't forgot where you are physically. That's kind of the, the simplest version. Um, we've recreated that into an adventure sport experience uh, where it's a crevasse crossing at the base of Mount Everest. Uh, the first step in climbing Everest is crossing this big glacier called the Kumbu Icefall. And there's big cracks in the ice. And the way you get across those cracks is by putting a ladder as this temporary makeshift bridge and walking across it. Um, so we can create the same type of fear of heights um, as the Richie's Plank experience originally proved uh, and recreate a bit of that Everest experience without actually leaving your living room. Still give people the way, uh, the opportunity to um, challenge their fear in a, in a really safe environment. Uh, another example is uh, this one's a little bit more intense and you have to go to a facility for it. But one of the... Um, one of the more advanced virtual reality simulators um, is going live uh, next week, actually, which I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but uh, in uh, the middle of May of, of 2022. And it's a wingsuit base jumping simulator in virtual reality, a company called Jump that we're partnering with, uh, which is really exciting because wingsuit base jumping, for anyone who thinks paragliding is crazy, wingsuit base jumping is actually crazy. It's it's the uh, one of the most intense, dangerous um, and high level adventure sports that exists in the world. Uh, if anyone's heard the term squirrel suit, that's uh, kind of the unofficial term for for wingsuiting. And it's uh, when you're jumping off a cliff with a squirrel suit. So not jumping out of an airplane, but you're jumping off a mountain. So the stakes are higher because the ground is a whole lot closer. 
And we can actually simulate that in virtual reality with an in-person facility, almost like those iFly skydiving facilities, where you're actually on a physical ledge, and it's only five feet off the ground, but you have a VR headset on, and it feels like you're on the edge of an actual cliff. And when you jump off, there's this mechanism that catches you. Uh, you're in an actual wingsuit, and there's a mechanism that inflates it so it feels rigid, just like it does when you're flying. And you really feel like you were actually wingsuit base jumping, something that would take thousands of hours of practice. And only the most elite action sport athletes would ever do that in real life. And you can do it with zero training in virtual reality in a way that feels pretty indistinguishable from real life, which is absolutely incredible. So those are just two examples, but all kinds of No. Oh, so when you were talking about the wingsuit thing, like uh, in my mind, uh, I, I was going back to, to the remake of the movie Point Break when they uh, did, did the wingsuit down the mountain on that and was zipping yeah. past the rocks. And I'm sitting there like that freaked me out just even in the movie. I can't imagine what the VR experience is going to be like, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like VR has been around like in various forms for, for a good while. I remember uh, in the Marines, we used to train with this thing called, uh, we called it virtual reality. It was really just a big video game called uh, the Ismet. Um, and it, it we had light guns and we could do battle simulations uh, on a big movie screen. We didn't have the goggles. So we didn't get the full blown sensory piece, uh, but went through a couple of those later on um, uh, towards, you know, more modern time as the goggles became a little bit more prevalent and 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 folks if you've never i mean he's right if you've never done anything with virtual reality it's nobody can really explain it to you like like one thing marshall said there that i will 100 percent agree with well i agree with all of it but that piece like nobody can tell you what virtual reality is like you need to go put on a set of goggles and experience it because it it it's amazing i mean it's just amazing at how uh, you know, like you said, you're, you're, you know, maybe just a couple inches off the ground on the ground, but you would swear that you're standing on, on the plank. I've not done that particular one, but I've done some stuff uh, similar, but I think that's the, where the power of this lies, right? Is like, you can put people not just in these very precarious situations, but you can put them in situations that you don't necessarily want to expose people to. And the reality, the the sensory piece, like you get that that same kind of emotional effect as the situation itself, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, there's there's also a really good movie you can watch called Ready Player One that shows yes uh, what the future of VR could potentially look like in the not so distant future. Um, but uh, yeah, it it feels uh, extremely real. And um, there is, there are two types of VR. There's um, virtual reality that is that is just with a headset. There's nothing else powering it. Um, that type of virtual reality is much less uh, a lower powered version than the other one, which is requiring uh, a headset that requires a computer to run it because you have a big game of computer processing the graphics versus just a little chip on a headset. Um, but in both the quality of the graphics, uh, will get substantially better in the next five to 10 years. And if, if anyone, you know, wants a kind of a, a super far out, um, you know, uh, perspective on where VR could get to just go watch the matrix and, uh, eventually could potentially get to that level where you can't tell, uh, whether it's real reality or not real reality. Um, but, uh, that's obviously like furthest out version. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great point. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not sure uh, how old you are and I won't ask you to date yourself, but 
for me, I remember when the very first PlayStation came out and I remember they had this game called Star Fox and everybody was going gaga over the graphics. And then Final Fantasy VII comes out and everybody's going gaga over the graphics. And, you know, they were, they were great at the time, but now you look at the modern games and you go back and you look at that and it's like, how did I ever sit through that? You know? And uh, right. so, yeah, it's, it's, and, and, and here's the thing that is going to be really interesting. Cause you know, I've looked at some of the, the VR uh, was it national geographic has the dive with humpback whales experience. And, and um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so much that you can do in your living room with VR. Now I can't imagine what the next five to 10 years holds. It's, it's going to be great. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, um, even where virtual reality is now, like that humpback whale experience, uh, you really feel like you're actually there. Um, there's there's this one kind of first-person shooter zombie game um, that uh, I, I had to take the headset off because I literally felt like there was a zombie behind me. <laughs> it's uh, Even where it is now is pretty impressive. Uh, in the next five years, it's just going to get exponentially better. It really is. It really is. So now, you know, people are, you know, like listening to this and like, okay, this sounds great. You guys are talking about video games and having fun and zombies and all that other good stuff. But, you know, the truth is you've worked with, you know, Peloton, Microsoft, uh, CNN. You've worked with some some big companies uh, using this type of technology, building these experiences and and doing some real uh, personal development, team development, that sort of stuff. So people may be thinking, okay, you're talking about zombies and stuff up to this point. How does this help me be a better leader and how does this help me build a better team? Yeah, for sure. So there's obviously many ways to teach leadership development, um, but one of the most effective is through experiential learning. And it's not a new category. It's been around for you know for decades. And it's the concept that it's... Uh, the most effective way to learn is by doing. And of course, the outdoor adventure industry is extremely effective at teaching leadership through experiential learning because you're working together to solve a problem where the stakes are real and it could be the difference between life and death. And that's why there's so many amazing uh, leadership coaches who are, you know, Everest mountaineers and adventure sport athletes. Um, it's also why, uh, you know, sports teams and the military, uh, use experiential learning and why it's so effective actually doing something physical that has real stakes um, to teach a particular outcome. Um, there's really only so much we can do in a classroom type setting. So virtual reality allows us to take what is arguably the most effective type of leadership development training, experiential learning, and take and break down the barrier of entry to that. Of course, we can't take a team of um, you know, just everyday people and put them through a military style training or even a sports team like, you know, style training because everyone has different limitations when it comes to uh, physical fitness. But what everyone is on the same uh, capability scale of is the mental component of our ability to challenge uh, our own perspective um, of what our limits are and push through our fear uh, of failure when it comes to, you know, basic biological fears that we all have, like a fear of heights, for example. So obviously it's harder to take an entire team and teach them how to paraglide and jump off a mountain and overcome that fear of heights that we all have. But in virtual reality, we can do that extremely effectively uh, 
in a relatively low barrier of entry way. So it's really the first type of technology that takes this extremely effective teaching mechanism and makes it accessible to pretty much anyone, um, regardless of that person's skill level, their location, um, or their fitness level. And I think that's a really big game changer in the way that we can teach leadership um, and why virtual reality, uh, I think, will be a massive um, and powerful tool in the future of uh, how we teach it. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. And I've, you know, I've talked about this before on the show, but, uh, you know, in the Marines, one of the last things we do is is called the Crucible before we graduate boot camp. And uh, one of the last events in the Crucible is they take you through this series of uh, problem solving exercises. At this point, you've been up for about two days with no sleep. Uh, you've had about a half of an MRE uh, meals ready to eat for the folks who don't know what MRE is. Uh, so you're hungry, you're sleep deprived, and now they're giving you these really daunting uh, mental tasks. And some of them are nearly unsolvable, you know, but the point is, and they don't let you know this at the time, you know, but the point is, it's not whether or not you solve the puzzle. It's how do you act, react, and interact uh, around and with your team. Um, and you're right. Those were extremely valuable experiences on, on highlighting, like, who's got natural leadership abilities, who needs work uh, where. Uh, but like you said, you know, those are facilities where we've spent uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of uh, thousands of hours, hundreds of thousands of dollars building and, and erecting these. And, you know, your company, uh, you can do that relatively cheap and fairly effectively for organizations, huh? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, the cost of the headsets themselves is super affordable. Uh, the Oculus Quest, um, or the Meta Quest now, since Facebook owns Oculus and they changed their name, uh, is one of the most popular ones. It's also one of the best uh, on the um, the mobile processing side. So like just the headset itself without a computer. And it's only $299. Um, extremely affordable compared to the multiple thousands of how much his headsets used to be. And a lot of companies, especially companies that are partially or fully remote, are um, starting to realize that you can buy these headsets not just for team leadership development training. That's actually not the first thing they think of when they buy headsets. Um, most companies think of, well, we can recreate the virtual office space and you know create our company office in the metaverse and have team conferences. So a lot of companies are buying them for those use cases. And then we'll come in and say, you can actually use that existing headset that you already invested in to uh, help teach all these different themes uh, in leadership development training for your team that already has the hardware to do it. So it's um, more and more becoming a, a tool for enterprise use and not just a uh, video game console that our kids have. So it's um, yeah, definitely more and more uh, effective um, and uh, the, the adoption curve is, is getting uh, a little bit bigger. Well, you, you kind of mentioned it there, and this is a question that I'm, I'm really curious about because I've heard of, of a lot of places, you know, doing just what you said, like, you know, okay, we're done with Zoom, we got Zoom fatigue, we want to do something that that feels a little bit more personal, um, even in the education system. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, do you have or, or does any data exist at this point, since things are fairly new, about how much more effective, say, a... Uh, a VR meeting versus a Zoom call is? Um, you know, I'm sure someone's done research on that. Um, but uh, 
the, the research that we really rely on is the effectiveness of experiential learning over regular types of learning. So that doesn't really apply to something like just a meeting. Um, you can space out in a virtual reality team meeting just as easily as you can in a real life team meeting. The only difference is it's harder to look at your phone in virtual reality. So maybe people <laughs> will pay more attention. Um, but the using virtual reality for meetings, I don't think it makes them more effective. Um, I do think it makes them more practical and more effective for remote teams. But if you're in person, uh, there's nothing better than just getting together in a conference room, especially for a brainstorming session. But for companies that don't have that luxury, let's say they've get, given up their office space for COVID and decided to go permanently down that um, trajectory or part of their team is remote and they want to include those people, uh, then it is more effective because you can have everyone in what feels like the same space, even when they're not physically there. Um, obviously, opening up the talent pool to anyone in the world, uh, but still having the um, ability to feel like you're in the same office with them, even if they're on the other side of the world, uh, that's really powerful. But I don't think just virtual reality is you know, uh, any more effective than real reality if you have the luxury of just getting together in the real world from like a meeting standpoint. But from an experiential standpoint, it definitely makes it uh, easier as well. Makes perfect sense. So, all right, so Marshall, I want to get my team better at being able to, to problem solve and innovate. What can you do for me and my team uh, with a VR setup to be able to promote those types of skills? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of what we do for helping teams to be more innovative and creative is really kind of break it down to what is the core psychological, emotional factor for innovation. And through a lot of the research that we've found, the ability to take a risk and get outside of your comfort zone is essential in the innovation process. Because usually innovation, like by definition, means you're doing something that hasn't been done before and you're really paving the way. And that takes courage. And there's a decent amount of fear in that process, fear of what happens if you fail, if you're wrong, are you going to get fired? Are you going to get blamed for having this big failure that costs a lot of money? So we try to address that initial fear of failure through making analogies in these action sport experiential leadership programs where we help teams overcome that fear of jumping off the side of a cliff in a wingsuit base jumping simulator uh, and realizing um, that taking the leap uh, is really more about mindset than anything. Obviously, um, there's no physical connection between something like paragliding uh, and wingsuit base jumping versus innovation. But the fear of taking the leap um, is the same. I mean, there's so many analogies of like, you know, entrepreneurship is building the plane, um, you know, as it's plumbing to the ground and you have to make sure you put it together before you before you hit. Um, and I know people you make jokes like that all the time, um, but there is actually a lot of psychological, uh, you know, connections between the, the two themes of, of the mindset that's um, needed for that. So helping teams to just have a discussion around what is innovation and breaking it down into um, its kind of most basic components, uh, being able to push through that fear of the unknown, that fear of failure, and then taking an experience that has nothing to do with your work, practicing those things through that, and then bringing it back into the office place as an analogy that you can take directly into your work when you're worried about um, you know, taking this new risk on the innovation side. And you think back to your experience um, in virtual reality uh, and realize that you do have the courage to take the leap. And uh, even if you are wrong, it's 
part of the process. It's, it's okay. Every now and then we, we mess up like my paragliding story at the beginning of this interview. Um, but uh, we can't have progress without courage to take the leap. Yeah. And it all comes down to that. So, and I'm sure you get this a lot, uh, but you probably have some naysayers that come up and say, oh yeah, you know, that sounds great. But at the end of the day, everybody knows that this is, you know, just a, a fancy video game. You're not really jumping off of a mountain. This, this is some hocus pocus, fooey type stuff. Why would I waste my money? What, what would you say to those folks? Yeah. Um, because I'm sure they exist because they exist with all new technology. So I'm sure I've got listeners thinking that right now. A hundred percent. Whenever there is something that's new and different, there's always a hesitancy to adopt it. And ironically, it kind of comes down to the same thing that we're trying to teach is uh, a willingness to get outside of your comfort zone, try something new and, uh, and see where it goes. Um, it's... Uh, in a lot of leadership development, unfortunately, it's one of those things that most companies uh, sometimes view as not urgent, and sometimes it gets pushed uh, to the back of the list. Um, but ultimately, it uh, if it's not addressed, can cause catastrophic problems. So we actually um, we were working with uh, CNN a couple of years ago, and uh, that was when they were investing a lot of time and effort into building their team into uh, more of a creative, innovative, faster moving uh, tech startup style company, especially we were working with the digital side uh, specifically. And uh, we made some really good progress. And after a while, um, they decided to make uh, some cuts in their budget. Uh, things got busy. Um, and uh, leadership development got pushed to the wayside. And uh, two years later, um, CNN Plus is one of the biggest uh, failures of um, uh, streaming service platform uh, in kind of recent uh, history that everyone's talking about. Uh, I'm not going to say that was directly because we stopped working with them and they didn't think leadership development was as important. Uh, but uh, it's at least a correlation if it's not a causation. Well, no, I mean, but I think that is a great point, right? Because one of the biggest failures in in what we do, you know, doing leadership development, DNI training, things like that myself, you know, one of the biggest failures an organization has is they treat this as, okay, we brought somebody in, we checked our box, we're done for the year, we're moving on to the next thing, and, and that's it. You know, they'll, they'll shell out the money, maybe have us come in for a day if we're lucky, but usually it's we're going to come in for a couple hours for this retreat, and then, you know, that's it. Uh, if I'm tracking with all this, like I think that's one of the great things about VR and, and the connected world we live in. Your product, I mean, you could really get everybody together and do this, you know, on a monthly, weekly basis type of thing because it's so easy to access, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's really what the approach that that we're coming at it with is that, I mean, you can't take your team to go climb Mount Everest, uh, you know, on a monthly recurring basis uh, or, or even once for that matter. <laughs> uh, but with virtual reality, um, it's extremely easy to have a recurring focus on leadership development. And um, that's really what we're trying to help companies understand is that it's not uh, a one and done, you check the the box kind of thing. It's you know just like building up any muscle or skill. Uh, it takes practice and, um, uh, you know, consistency. And uh, that that's one of the things that is hard to 
do uh, in in real life, um, but it can be done a little bit faster and cheaper, easier, but still with the same effectiveness in virtual reality. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Uh, so I'm going to shift gears here a little bit because being a podcast host myself, I always love to uh, push other podcasts and, and encourage people to go listen to, to other shows. Uh, but as we mentioned at the beginning, you're host of the Inside uh, the Adventure podcast, Inside the Adventure podcast. And I'll have links to that in the show notes as well. Go ahead and give a plug for uh, the show. Like, what's it about? What type of guests do you have? What can what can my listeners interested in responsible leadership learn from from your show? Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, so we interview all different types of really amazing uh, adventure athletes, you know, the Red Bull athletes that are really pushing the limits, setting world records, um, doing things that have never been done before, uh, as well as entrepreneurs that have started really incredible companies related to uh, adventure sports. Uh, and we try to break down their leadership journey of how, for one, how they got to this point in life of doing what they love, as well as, uh, you know, uh, changing changing the world in their own way, um, but also how they push through the failures um, that they've experienced and try to dive into some of the leadership insights uh, that they've realized through their story. And some of these people, especially the athletes, have had really traumatic things happen, crazy injuries, uh, stories that make my story at the beginning of this episode sound uh, like nothing in comparison. And um, see what they've learned on the other side. And uh, those stories are, are incredibly impactful. Um, and we, we interview athletes all across the board, everything from, you know, helicopter pilots to paragliders, snowboarders, kiteboarders, um, to, you know, the founders of really big outdoor com- uh, companies like Patagonia, um, you know, Black Diamond, um, Osprey, um, and uh, try to get the themes of the lessons that they've learned uh, and aggregate that um, for uh, kind of across the board. But uh, yeah, really amazing stories. Yeah, no, it's it's great stuff. And again, I know uh, my listeners, they really loved when I had uh, Amy and Kevin on way back uh, when. And, and for those who particularly liked that, ep- those episodes there, I think you're really going to love Marshall's podcast. Um, because, you know, again, that was the thing. Like, I remember when I got pitched for them and, and you know, I, I'll admit, I even kind of had the same thing when I got pitched uh, for you at first. I'm thinking like, how does, you know, how does this fit? But I, I was thinking back. And I think people continually, like you, you mentioned Red Bull, uh, some of the things they've done. Like, you know, we recently had the two pilots uh, that tried to swap planes in midair. And, uh, you know, the gentleman who jumped uh, out of the plane and with no parachute into the, the trampoline a few years ago. And, you know, all this stuff. It's like, oh, these are just people who get up and do weird stuff on a daily basis. But it takes a ton of prep, a ton of planning, a ton of team building and I promise you, if you're going to try to do something as crazy as swap planes in midair, you have to have a lot of trust and faith in the people that that set things up and and are a part of your team. Because if you're not leading them well and they're not doing their job well and your reserve parachute isn't packed properly because you've distracted people, things can get real serious real quick, can't they? Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. I I've, I still need to go watch that, actually. I've heard so many people talking about it. Yeah. Oh, I haven't watched the video yet. It, it actually kind of freaks me out, but uh, the, just the thought of it. But yeah. Um, 
Well, Marshall, look, this has been some great conversation. I really think uh, that that our listeners have taken a lot about this, uh, a lot out of this conversation. And if they weren't really into VR uh, at the beginning, hopefully they are now because it is a powerful tool. But um, just curious, before we close out here, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover in our conversation that you want to leave listeners with? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, I, I think you had amazing questions. We covered a lot of good stuff. Uh, I just want to say if anyone uh, wants to learn more um, about what I do or, or connect uh, with me online, you can always uh, shoot me a friend a friend request and, and message on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, the handle is at Marshall with two L's and then Mosher, M-O-S-H-E-R. And uh, happy to help however I can. All right. Good deal. I'll make sure that stuff gets in in the show notes so folks can get to you very quickly. Um, I'll get that uh, TEDx talk in there. It's fantastic talk, folks. Uh, Marshall uh, covers a lot of territory in, in, in that 18 minutes plus. Um, brother, thank you very much for being with me and my guests and uh, having this amazing conversation we've had here over the last 40 plus minutes. Um, thank you for opening up about your stories, your experiences, what your company does and all of those things that are responsible leadership related. So just thank you for being a great guest on the show. Of course. Yeah. I love talking about it and thanks for having me on. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at Earl at leadership that's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.